listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I have Tiana here today. Tiana, in one line, can you give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund? Absolutely. My name is uh, Tiana Lawrence, and I'm the general partner of Lawrence Innovation. Wonderful. So, Tiana, what inspired you to become a venture capitalist or an investor? Yeah, my dad handed me a book on equities when I was about eight years old. And I started reading about stocks and bonds and uh, commodities Mm -hmm. Uh, and was really interested in real estate in my teens and then came to a conclusion in my 20s that if I really wanted to build, because I was just waiting tables and stuff like that, if I really wanted to build up the kind of capital I needed in order to become an investor, I needed to learn how to start companies. And so I started building and failing companies in my 20s, finally sold one when I was 29, and then started investing. So Wonderful. That's awesome. So what is your investment thesis, and what is the motivation behind your thesis? Yeah. So I invest in primarily pre-revenue companies. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for about six years, uh, first as an angel, and then I set up my fund last year. And what I saw was that even the brightest VCs that did the best due diligence still couldn't pick winners, and that it was a numbers game. When a company is pre-revenue, they're three times as likely to fail. Mm-hmm. And the upside's still good. It's 10 times. But mm-hmm. when you think about that, if you're thinking about like due diligence, for example, in an early stage company, everything they're going to send you is just stuff very they minimal. made up. Very yeah. minimalistic. Yes, it's very pro forma. We'll put it that way. Very early in the game. Absolutely. So what you're really investing in is the founder mm-hmm. and their ability to move forward. And what I have found both anecdotally as an entrepreneur myself, as an investor, and I've gone out and found research that's like, makes me think that this also is true, is that there's only a few characteristics that can be, that can help shift that needle about whether or not a company is going to be successful. They're not total determinants, but like it would be, is the person, does the person have integrity? Because will that person deliver? Do they have this sort of like conscientious? And they, exe- this, and they execute yeah. 100% yeah. important. This, this drive that if they haven't done what they said they're going to do, they're going to keep on working at it. So that mm-hmm. conscientiousness is really important. 
It's mm. almost an obsessive compulsive need, <laughs> but like channeled in, the, channeled in the right direction. Then intelligence, can they deal with the complexity of what they're trying to handle? Because as a, especially as an early stage founder, you have your investors, you have your employees, you have your competitors. And then on top of that, you're trying to grow something and right. trying to do something you haven't done before. And that's an incredibly that's hard lift. It's really tough. tough. My my thesis, sorry, that was a long way to get to that, no, is that that's great. I love it. Invest in a lot of companies, go early, give them a little bit of capital, see what they do with it, give them a little bit of more capital once they deliver. Mm-hmm. And the other part is look for those three characteristics in your core founding team: intelligence, integrity, and conscientiousness. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Yes. So what are you currently learning? or listening to, or reading these days? I am preparing uh, to expand my operations. So Wonderful. I'm just constantly reading about how that works, how to be able to automate some of the things that I want to do, like due diligence and dealing with type two air, basically it's a great investment, but it doesn't look like that initial gut reaction that you might have, mm-hmm. because those tend to be like, undervalued founders, underrepresented areas, how do we both suss out like our own human bias so that it doesn't blind us to great opportunities and great innovation. So that's where I'm spending a lot of my time is like trying to figure out that piece so that I can scale up operations and serve more entrepreneurs. That's excellent. Yeah, due diligence is hard. We actually have a process for that ourselves as well Mm -hmm. that needs to be automated just need it's to a, automate it it's it 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 because it, we have a very rigorous one so mm-hmm. yeah I, I, it makes total sense especially when a company is post-revenue mm-hmm. uh, because then there's you got to go up and check what are these contracts have they figured yeah. out their ip do they own it do they have anything unique where are the conflicts like getting in the closet and seeing well, what's and also, hidden also like their investor base you can oh. see that as well. Who's invested? Oh, yeah. You know that. You know, who's on their cap table? You can see all those things, which is important to know structurally. Yeah. Did they structure it properly? These are all important things to know. Yeah, one of those one of those core issues that I, I see often because a lot of times I'm some of the first money into a startup mm-hmm. is valuation. How do they know what they're worth? And there's, it's just all over the million. map. Yeah. I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm 10 million. I'm in is this place. Uh-huh. I'm this million. It is very, it is, it, if you have no revenues, it's harder to have the value because also the mechanic that they use or that's used normally uh-huh. is the safe note, which has no valuation attached. So how do you know uh-huh. how much the value is? You're assuming you have a value, but you've given it no value Yeah. in essence. The, I like the, the, I basically created a modified Berkus method where oh, you, yeah. you basically say, you know, who's on there? What would their fair mm-hmm. market be if they're pulling in a salary working and discount for risk? And then say, okay, what else do you have? Do you have an MVP? Do you have a working thing? You know, do you have clients? Do you have users? Do you yeah. have, then you can go on and then you can go on from there. And, and the yeah, Berkus method is really good. Yeah, good I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect for the pre-revenue company because mm-hmm. then you can say okay what do you have what do you not have and there's there's a place of negotiation where it's instead of right. just something arbitrary that they pick because they read a blog that was written by somebody that was or they read a tech crunch this one mm-hmm. did it so i'm doing yeah. it 
or they think that they can have the same kind of valuation as a company that's just totally different or yeah I, I had one recently come to me with 10 million dollar valuation no business not even a business model they just wanted that based off of the team they were showing me on their deck and I was like mm -mm. yeah and this is a learning it's a learning on the side of the founder is mm -hmm. to when you're saying you're valued at that level, what do you really have to prove you're valued at that level? And you're really setting yourself up for later to be valued less. And thus you get a down round. So do you really want to do that to yourself? I think when you're when you don't look at the mechanics of how that goes, like you got pre-seeds and some pre-revenue, da, 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 and you go up the stack later, somebody is going to be like, this value is wrong. As an early investor, I'm incentivized to help them get it right because the relationship's so long and no other investors want to want on the deal if it's overpriced. And, right. and if it's underpriced, then they're probably selling more equity than they should. And then they'll become disincentivized by the time it starts to get interesting. Correct. And yeah, I had a conversation this week with a startup that had $50,000 of revenue, recurring revenue coming in. They're trying to raise, uh, raise a round. They had just bootstrapped it. And great. yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And he was wanting to raise a million dollars and mm -hmm. he was thinking he was going to sell like 17% of his company. And just as a rule of thumb, this isn't a hard, fast one, but don't sell more than 10. Right. And with a company that's bringing in that much reoccurring revenue and has good client retention, there's no reason that, that you should be selling 17% for a million. Right. So the economics of that didn't work. But yeah, see, like, I mean, really I, I could have just taken that and been like, this is sweet. I would go oh, of this course. whole thing, but then it would like, by the time he's like raising his third or fourth round, right. like when he goes to series B, you're, you're, he's kind of, he's out. And this happens right. to founders as well. That's fairly common where it's okay. You got down the road, you made a guy. If you got series B, you're like one of the more successful founders, but then you find out that you basically gave your whole company away. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then you're like, uh, how, how am I not the CEO of the thing I created? And so it's, it would be short-sighted to take that quick win as an mm -hmm. investor to shortchange the the entrepreneur just because of the, not ignorance, but that's not what he's been they're specializing. Naive. They're naive. They just don't they, know. They're, they're yeah, just they, a little naive. They've been doing something else. There's nothing wrong with it. Everybody was a first-time founder at some point. You know what I'm saying? If you founded something, you were a first oh, yeah. And it was the first time you did that, you were a first-time founder. So you just yeah. don't certain things. And But that's why having somebody like you on their side is super awesome. All right, Tiana, bonus question. In two yeah. years, when we're talking, how do you see venture capital or investing having evolved? I think right now it's such an interesting time because we next two years are going to be very interesting economically, globally. Very um, true. And so I throw that into the dynamic as well, not just like a regular two years in any cycle, but this is, I think, a once in a lifetime economic change we're also seeing like china becoming more and more competitive mm -hmm. issuing out their own digital currency and doing all the global development with ports Various and trains and done. stuff yeah, yeah that, a lot of infrastructure a lot of, a lot infrastructure. of infrastructure at all levels Absolutely. like ports trains water energy we could go on and on about that yeah so as i think about how does the u.s think about what does it want to be doing economically globally and it's pulling out of the current situation, like the bill is going to be coming due economically yes. for us based off of COVID. Like we're pulling out of it, but now 
like all these businesses have gone under, but people have had a year so to think many. about how to innovate and what are they going to, what are the new businesses going to be created? So I think yes. right now there's going to be a ton of new startups coming out. I'm already seeing it. The other thing is because I brought up all this stuff into the global perspective is there's um, uh, so much money being pumped into the economic systems. Like was it 28%? I don't know exactly what the number was, but it's like all of 28% or something of all the capital that ever existed exists now. And and so it's just everybody's fleeing these ca- cash positions and putting it into things like real estate and equities and things like that. And it be- mm-hmm. becomes a founder's market where they can go raise capital yes. and they might not have a solid, a solid business plan. They might not have a product, a clear idea about what the product is, a little bit of that dot-com bubble feel where they got a dot-com, they raise some capital. So I think there'll be a little bit of a flavor of that where you'll see valuations that don't exactly make sense as the number of VCs increases. And then you'll have another aspect of all the different sort of variations of we fund or go fund these sort of like oh, okay, the, the crowdfunding crowd or alternative aspect. kind of platforms like that. Yeah, that are going to be eating away at a traditional boutique venture capitalists. Okay, so yeah. this is interesting because we we do crowdfunding in our fund as mm-hmm. well. But do you see that? I know the original vision of that was to replace that pre-seed round where you lie. Do you see that cannibalizing anything you're doing or no? Yes and no. So one of the one of the one of the issues with doing a crowdfund is that you need to have a company, a product, a service that the general population can understand, see the That's value right. in. And you need to be able to distinguish yourself on that platform. So you end up spending more probably front-loading your marketing mm-hmm. of what you look like versus what you have. And so that takes time. That takes money. And my goal is to be the first 250K into a company that's getting to that MVP. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. the companies that have a minimal viable product and at least a customer, then they're ready to go onto something that's crowdfunded. Because then they could at least sell, they could at least sell it. But I also think at that point, once they have a, a product and at least a paying customer, then they start becoming more interesting to other types of Angel investors, investors that, higher net worth individuals, yeah. potential like the yeah. potential seed fund people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So from so my from my perspective, I love technology. I don't mind geeking out and looking at something, and then have a good network of people as well. Like when I see something that I think is just tremendous, then I can pick up the phone and call somebody that has that more specific knowledge and say, does this make sense? And help foster up that entrepreneur so you can get to the MVP. So yes and no. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that. My pleasure. So how do people? contact you they can go to my website just lawrence.capital and hit me up have an application online for a startup wonderful thank you so much tiana lawrence from lawrence capital for being our guest on the female vc lab podcast thank you very much This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin t
T-R-A-I-L-Y-N.com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.